This is Anshu Bahanda on Wellness Curated. Thanks for joining me on this podcast. My mission is to empower you with health and wellness so that you can then go and empower others. Today, we're going to be discussing a spiritual journey from Hollywood to the Himalayas. And I'm going to be chatting to a preeminent leader in the world of spirituality, and that's Sadhvi Bhagwati Saraswati Ji, or Sadhvi Ji, as she's called. She was born in the US. She moved to India in 1996. She's a graduate of Stanford University. She was ordained by Pooja Swami Chidanand Saraswati Ji, or Muniji, who's president of one of the largest interfaith institutions in India. And she was ordained into the tradition of sannyas and lives at the Parmarth Ashram in Rishikesh, where she leads a number of humanitarian projects, gives discourses, teaches meditation, and counsels people. She's a really, really special soul, and we're very lucky to have her here talking to us today. We got so much invaluable information today. Listen to this. We forgive, I always say, not because what they did is okay, but simply because we deserve to be free. And not forgiving keeps us stuck. So whatever someone has done to you, it doesn't deprive you of your birthright to be free, to be joyful, to be peaceful, because that's the nature of who you are. I read your book and I loved it. The one thing that actually really stuck with me was how you came to be by the Ganges or the Ganga and at the Parmat Ashram. And it seemed like the Ganga actually chose you. So what would you advise people who haven't had found their calling? How should they go about connecting to the universe and helping find why they're here? Beautiful. Well, first of all, it's important to remember that we don't all have one calling. I know that my particular story of being picked up from a world in California and transported to a world on the banks of Ganga is really an extraordinary story, one for which I don't take any credit at all. It's all divine grace. But it's important to realize that for the vast overwhelming majority of people, our our purpose, our calling is going to unfold day by day. And that's true for me as well. Just because I knew that I was meant to physically move from Hollywood to the Himalayas, it wasn't clear what the calling was other than just to be here. And what I, what I do, the way I'm able to serve, what you would call my calling or purpose actually keeps unfolding and keeps changing even from, you know, month to month, year to year, and even from minute to minute and moment to moment of the day. And I think that's really important because a lot of people have this illusion that somehow I've got one calling, one purpose, one dharma, and I need to figure out what it is and, oh my God, what's the equation and 
where's my magic wand? And I think it's a really tragic myth in a way because it leads a lot of us to go completely crazy looking for something that, that doesn't exist in the form that we're looking for it. Each of us in every moment, our calling is just to keep our heart open. And when our heart is open, the moment is able to unfold. And maybe it will unfold in a beautiful moment of love between you and a flower that's blossoming, mm -hmm. or you and a random person, you pass on the street, but you know, you drop something or they drop something and one of you helps the other to pick it up. And for a split moment, your eyes meet and you smile on a busy street in the middle of your busy day. And for just a moment, you've dropped into why you're here, which isn't to get from point A to point B on the street, I promise. And so I think really our calling for all of us is just to be as open as we can in every moment to, to the heart, to how can I be in this moment with as much open-heartedness as I possibly can. And of course, that open-heartedness translates into actual love, into actual service, giving, compassion. It also translates into courage and how I live my life. Because when my heart's open, I'm not cowering in fear of, oh my God, what are you going to think about me? So, so that calling is really the open heart and to just allow the rest to happen. And it will happen, and it's already happening. But because we're looking for it to happen in a totally different box, we miss it. So just stop wherever you are. This exact moment, your calling is just to be here. And then in the next moment, your calling is to be there with as open of a heart as you possibly can. And then in that open heart, where you're supposed to move, what direction, it'll unfold. It'll come to be known. That actually takes me really nicely to something else I wanted to broach with you. And that was, you've talked about these incredible meditative experiences and experiences of love and connection and the consciousness expanding. But you said something which was, it doesn't mean we stop working on ourselves on our everyday transactional lives. You know, in context of what's going on in the world, we're just coming out of a pandemic, people have lost loved ones. In the context of so much pain and so much trouble, how do you advise people to focus on their everyday lives and their everyday expansion? This is the place where spirituality and psychology overlap. For the overwhelming vast majority of us, we've got patterns, whether we call it sanskaras, whether we call it neural patterns or networks or however, however we want to refer to it. We've got impressions upon our psyche that have been made typically in early childhood typically by loved ones, families of origin, cultures of origin. We've taken them in very deeply and they have impacted us. The only way that that wouldn't have happened in a way that would create difficulty for you later on would be if you literally were the child of two enlightened beings who were so 
clear of their own stuff that they didn't pass any of it on to you, that they never ever treated you as anything other than a being of light, a being of consciousness, you know, that you never were called a good boy or a bad boy, mm -hmm. that you never were labeled, that you never were praised or criticized based on how you scored on a math exam or how you pitched a baseball game. And that's just not the case that most of us were born and raised in. You know, our parents all did the very best they could, of course. They raised us with, with as much love as they could in most cases. Nonetheless, they're human. And in most cases, they're young humans, right? I mean, most of us were born to parents in their 20s, like they're kids. And so what ends up happening is we develop these patterns, these impressions on our psyche of how we think about ourselves, how we think about the world, what we think is required of us to be lovable, to be worthy on this planet. And then as we move through our lives, these tend to lead into you know, varying degrees of neuroses because we're constantly trying to gain love, gain pleasure, gain self-esteem, gain a sense of who I am based on how people around me look at me and treat me, or based on what I achieve and what I'm doing. We're constantly trying to push away situations that create stress in the psyche. And when we're doing that, when we're engaged in, you know, that tug of war, what we call rag and dwesh and, you know, avidya and agyan and ignorance and all of this, we're not able to really merge into the fullness of who we are. And unfortunately, again, in most of our cases, meditation isn't the 100% cure-all. Meditation gives us a a taste, a touch, an experience of the truth, but we then still have to keep unpeeling that which prevents us from living in that meditative state the rest of the time. Mm -hmm. And so this is where psychology plays such a great role is it really helps us understand, oh, all right, so that's where I've learned this. This is how I've learned that. Here's how I can get free of this habit. And that's why I always recommend that it's not either or. Yes, we should all meditate. We should meditate every day. We should pray. We should chant. We should serve. And if we find that there are habits within us, whether habits of action or habits of thought, habits of relating to others, habits of relating to ourselves, that are keeping us from living in a state of this constant awareness, it may be a really beautiful idea to do some, some psychological work. So that's where they overlap. And the other aspect of work that I speak about is that, that service, that action, mm -hmm. karma. Mm -hmm. And having had deeply powerful spiritual experiences does not exempt us from fulfilling our karmic duties here on earth. Mm -hmm. You know, if you look at you look at the Bhagavad Gita, well, when Bhagwan Krishna finally shows Arjun his Vishal Roop, that form mm -hmm. of him as the universe, and Arjun has that experience, he still has to fight the war, 
right? It's not like, oh, now you've had darshan of the divine. Now you're yeah. done. Now you can yeah. go off to that cave. Krishna gives him the experience to show him the veracity of what Krishna is saying, to prove to him, hey, you know, I'm not just your pal giving you some advice that you, you know, may or may not think is valuable. But then after giving him that experience, Arjun still has to get out into the middle of that battlefield and fight. And in the same way, no matter what experiences we've had of the divine in meditation, in prayer, we still have a karmic package. We still have this karmic journey we are on to bring us into a state of constant oneness with the divine. So, yeah, we keep acting, but now we act not as those who are stuck, but as those who are more free. And we become more and more and more free the deeper that awareness from our meditation goes, the deeper we can bring it into our minute-to-minute, moment-to-moment awareness. Okay, so again, so you had said in your book something relating to this. You'd said, you described grace actually beautifully. You said grace requires only that there be space in us in which it can flow. So for the layman, people who are running around doing their karmic duties, running their life, you know, leading their lives from morning to night, how do you suggest they create that space for grace to flow? I think about it the way that we have blood vessels in our physical body through which the blood flows. Now, when you have a physical heart attack, that heart attack happens because the blood vessel has become full of plaque. You know, talk about it as cholesterol. It's right. The plaque has filled up the blood vessel. So first your blood pressure rises. There's less space for the blood to flow. So the pressure rises. And eventually when it gets completely jam-packed full of junk, the blood can't flow at all and you have a heart attack. Now spiritually, it's actually the same thing. Just like there is blood, even if you've had a heart attack, the problem is not the production of blood. In the same way, there is grace. Grace is there. But if our internal channel is plugged up with ego, with anger, with grudges, with false identification, with expectations, with attachments, that grace isn't going to have room to flow. And so the way to be free is to identify what is it that's blocking me? What is it that's holding me back? And if you're attentive, you'll notice it because as beautiful moments start to, to flow, you'll, you'll hear different voices in your head that'll say different things and inspire different reactions. And so you'll know what is it that's pulling me out of this? What kind of stress, tension, ego, desire, fear, story I'm telling myself about myself? It's pulling me out of the divine experience of this moment. We look at it, we acknowledge it, and then we offer it. Really, quite literally, you know, I love, I love ritual. I'm all about ritual. I think it's really powerful. It takes us into a kind of a different state of consciousness almost when you're performing a yagna. You're really in a different state of consciousness. And... There's been some scientific research around brain waves and how the brain waves in which we are most able to be changed, whether we're meditating, whether we're hypnotized, 
whether we're very young, like those brain waves in which things that come in really deeply transform us, either for the good or for the negative, that we enter that same brainwave state engaged in ritual. And so rituals wow. are a really powerful way. Yeah, I love that. I'm, I love all kinds of neurology research. So it's a really powerful way, you know, to enter into a state of different brainwaves. And so I would perform a fire ceremony or, you know, if your spiritual tradition has other rituals to them, there's nothing that's right or wrong. It doesn't, you know, have to be a Hindu ritual if you're not a Hindu. Whatever rituals work in your spiritual lineage, perform a ritual in which you are literally letting go of all of that which is holding you back. And, and I love fire. And I think probably in mm. most of our spiritual traditions, yes. there's something around fire. And as you offer the, the offerings, which in our case is usually a mix of seeds and ghee into the fire, it's this, this symbol of offering into the fire that which is holding us back grudges, pain, egos, jealousies, expectations, avidya, agyan, ignorance, yeah. whatever it may be. Water is another really powerful way. If you happen to be blessed enough to be on the banks of Ganga, <laughs> lucky you. If not, if not, if there's another body of water where you are, a river, a stream, a lake, an ocean, offer into the water and watch the water carry it away, bury it into the ground, and then plant a tree over it. Allow the roots of that tree to transform that mm. which you have offered into life. Wonderful. So there's a lot of different aspects of ritual, but I think rituals are a really powerful way to let go and to start fresh. This is Anshu Bahanda. You can find our podcast, Wellness Curated, on Apple, Spotify, and a host of other channels. So Sadhviji, why the Ganga? Why do you feel that the Ganga is so special? Well, you know, there's two elements. The first element is it would be like if you're in love with someone, you know, everyone, I mean, everyone thinks their husband or wife or their mother or father or their children are the best, right? We've got this, this sense of those we love on a deeply personal level. Mm -hmm. We feel like they are qualitatively and quantitatively better mm -hmm. than those who others love. It's just part of human nature, right? I mean, I, I think my mom's the best, and you think your mom's the best, <laughs> and everybody thinks their mom is the best or their children are the best. In the same way, on a deeply personal level, I love Ganga. And so for me, she's the river of my heart. So she's special because to me, because mm -hmm. I love her. In the same way, my mom is special to me. In the same mm -hmm. way, my guru is special to me. In the same way, my friends are special to me. And my family is special to me. So that's one way, one aspect. But then, of course, there's the aspect where it's not just me. It's mm -hmm. all of the tradition from thousands of yes. years. I mean, again, yes. going back to the Bhagavad Gita, Bhagwan Krishna says of rivers, I am Ganga. So, I mean, you don't even have to go any further than that. When Krishna says of the rivers, I am Ganga. Of the mountains, I am Himalayas. Of the rivers, I am Ganga. Mm -hmm. So 
clearly it's not just my personal affinity. <laughs> Bhagwan Krishna has said this. And then, of course, we've got the sages and the saints and the rishis from thousands of years who have come. So Ganga, I mean, Ganga is the goddess. Stotras, the stutis, the prayers, the everything written to her. There's something. And you can't explain it in words. That's so true. There's certain things you just can't explain. But I also wanted to ask you about, you know, you grew up you, as a child, you were abused. You had a very hard childhood in certain ways. And then from there, you've come to be this person who's healed at a deeply, deeply cellular level almost. You're very present. You're, you're not constantly worried about what's happened in the past. How can you advise people to get there? There's a few aspects to that. The first is we have to be aware of what it is that's holding us back. To the extent that we repress and suppress and deny and ignore that which is hurting us on the inside, we're never going to be able to heal from it. So the first step is actually being able to look at it. What is it that's happened to us? How is it that's impacted us? The second step is allowing, because a lot of us have this sense of, well, I shouldn't feel like that. Don't, you know, in my, in my case, fortunate, fortunately, it was so bad on an objective level. I mean, in many ways, on many, many levels, my childhood was extraordinarily blessed. And I had two incredible parents who just adored me to no end and, you know, gave me so much love. And then, of course, I had this trauma and the abuse. And that was so bad that objectively, I couldn't really say to myself, oh, well, I shouldn't, you know, I shouldn't be impacted by it. But for people whose struggles have not necessarily been that objectively horrible, we mm -hmm. tend to tell ourselves, oh, you shouldn't feel like that. Don't be angry. Don't be hurt. It means you're weak. Be a man. Be strong. Be this, be that. Mm -hmm. We tell ourselves that. And it, it doesn't allow us to feel the truth. And as long as we're hiding from anything, we're not going to be able to heal. You know, it's like if you've got a wound, simply wearing a long sleeve shirt over a wound on your arm isn't going to make it heal. You've got to actually look at it acknowledge it, understand it to some level. Is it a burn? Is it a cut? Is it a bacterial infection? I mean, what is it? And then becomes the aspect of healing. And the healing is going to take different ways in different people. But the core of healing really is that it's not your fault. It's not about you. Whatever someone did to you, abuse, betrayal, lying, cheating, harming in any way, abandoning, you know, abandoning the abandonment, meaning knowingly abandoned you, or we also have abandonment issues when a parent dies at a young age, right? I mean, clearly the parent didn't do it on purpose, mm -hmm. but children whose parents have, in some cases, gotten divorced and moved away, died, they've got that trauma. And it's important to recognize whatever it is that's happened to you, it isn't your fault. And it isn't about you, meaning it wasn't done to you by that person to harm you. Even if they came at you with a knife, still, nonetheless, it was all about them. It was their anger, their ignorance, their ego, their delusion. 
you were just kind of in the wrong place at the wrong time. And when we can take that element out of it to really realize this is about them, they were suffering. People who are in peace make others feel peaceful around them. People who are happy and full of love make others feel happy and loved in their presence. People who share misery share it because they are miserable. So to recognize that whatever it was that someone did, knowingly, unknowingly, on purpose, by accident, was done because of something in them. It's not a defect of you. You didn't deserve it. You're not wrong or bad or tainted or less than. The vast majority of people who have experienced some kind of trauma move through the world feeling like there is something lacking in me, something wrong about me. So that was the next big component. But then the last... The last major component is this letting go. Because once we've done all of the other stuff, we're able to be what I call, we're able to manage our pain. So it doesn't ruin our lives the way it was before. It doesn't, you know, derail us all over the place. But it's still there. It's still kind of hanging over our head. And it becomes that which triggers us. So when we're stressed, when something happens that pushes our buttons, that's our default reaction. And this is where we have to really let go then as the final step is to let go of that which happened with the awareness that I am not the person to whom it happened. If it happened more than eight or nine years ago, there's not one cell in my body to which it happened. Every single cell of my body has been regenerated. Yes. So if you say, okay, who was abused? I mean, you say to me, I was abused. Well, who? I mean, there isn't a mm -hmm. cell in my body. Fabulous. It's just the identification that I've carried that says, oh, I was mm -hmm. abused. And this is where we let go. We let go of this attachment to an identification. We, we say that which happened should not have happened. We have compassion for the being to whom it happened. But we let go of our identification as that being. And that's what brings us the ultimate freedom. So just taking you one step back, when people hold someone else responsible, will you talk to us about that forgiveness before we get to the stage of being able to let go, being able to forgive the person who you hold responsible for something? We forgive, I always say, not because what they did is okay, but simply because we deserve to be free. And not forgiving keeps us stuck. So whatever someone has done to you, it doesn't deprive you of your birthright to be free, to be joyful, to be peaceful, because that's the nature of who you are. And no one can take that from you. But when I hold a grudge, then I literally offer up my joy, my peace, my freedom on the altar of someone else's ignorant, malicious, ego-filled action. And why would we want to do that? They've already hurt me. Why would I give them the rest of my life? That was absolutely, that's probably one of the most incredible things I've heard in a long time. Thank you for that. The other thing I wanted to ask you was, now, for people trying to raise their vibrations and get to a higher level of consciousness, can you give some guidance on how to do that? Meditation is absolutely the best way, but also to recognize that our source our divine source is constantly moving us closer and closer to the divine. Water comes down 
from wherever you drop it, it sources the earth, the ocean. Fire goes up from wherever you light it. Its source is the sun. Our source is divinity. We're constantly moving toward that. The problem is we keep pulling ourselves down. And so if you can stop pulling yourself down, stop giving into those thought patterns, emotions, tendencies that pull you down, and you'll find that you automatically keep rising. And of course, meditation is the key. Meditation allows you to connect with that true self within that is divine. Are there any key learnings <laughs> that you would like to share to help empower people? Number one, you are your greatest obstacle, your mind. Doesn't mean you're bad, doesn't mean you're wrong, doesn't mean you now need to another excuse to feel badly about yourself. <laughs> but just to really clearly recognize that our mind, not you as in the core of who you are, but just your mind, is your best, biggest obstacle, your vision, your way of thinking, your way of interpreting the sensory feedback that you're getting at your way of perception is your biggest obstacle. And so rather than constantly blaming others outside and looking for external fixes, to spend some extra time looking for internal fixes, mm -hmm. to free yourself. Another would be the awareness that who you are, that core of who you are, is whole, is full, is complete. You're not lacking in any way, but your mind keeps telling you what you are. So again, mm -hmm. the mind is the obstacle, but it's not that you need to become more, achieve more, do more, own more. Who you are in this exact moment is exactly full and whole and divine and exactly how God intends you to be. So stop looking for things outside to make you full and whole. Just again, work with the mind that keeps telling you that you are not and leading you down pathways of feeling very small and limited and sick and weak and troubled and needy and allow yourself to really experience the truth of who you are. And the third, I guess, and I'll... I'll end here is in alignment with that, which is grace doesn't discriminate. And whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever's happened, grace is there for you. Open your heart to it. And actually, actually, rather than end there, I'll end with the awareness that we're here on earth to be instruments, instruments in the hands of the divine. It's what we call namitta matrambhav, that, that feeling of being. Where there is darkness, let me bring light. Where there is despair, hope, right? It's this beautiful prayer. Yeah, yeah. That's why we're here. So stop thinking about what can I get? What can I have? What can I pull toward me? And start thinking about how can I serve? Mm -hmm. My guru, Pooja Swami Chidananda Saraswatiji, mm -hmm. always says, stop asking what for me and start asking what through me. And that's really a beautiful key to life. That's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. Can we leave people with a simple tool on how to meditate? What I would say, it's not really about a tool. That's, that's the misconception, is that meditation is all about this tool, that tool, this technique, mm -hmm. that technique. Meditation is just about 
anchoring yourself and whether we anchor in the breath, whether we anchor in a mantra, whether we an- anchor eyes open with a candle flame or the flowing Ganga in front of us. That's so wonderful. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us. Hope you enjoyed the Wellness Curated podcast. Please subscribe and tell your friends and family about it. And here's to you leading your best life. Thank you.